Welcome back to another episode of the Ecumen, and today I got Brian here in studio, and we're going to be talking about the 7th, 8th, 9th, and 10th commandments of God. So we started covering the other commandments a while back, now we're going to catch up and finish these out. Make sure to follow us on YouTube, check out Crosses and Graces over on the Restoring the Faith channel. If you guys have any questions or whatever, make sure to throw those into the comments below. And uh, yeah, uh, we appreciate all your inputs and all your support as we keep doing this. So look forward to helping you out with another lesson today. So without further ado, question 259. What is the seventh commandment of God? The seventh commandment of God is thou shalt not steal. Do the next uh, question here. 260. What are we commanded by the seventh commandment? Seventh commandment, we are commanded to respect what belongs to others, to live up to our business agreements, and to pay our just debts. So... Easy peasy, Pete. I know, right? <laughs> Except for then, like, what happens when you, like, skip out from work and you didn't actually, like, put that on your time card kind of thing? Ooh. Just some fraud. It's <laughs> fine. Yeah. And we'll get to the Eighth Commandment here soon. But, yeah, the problem here is, unfortunately, I think that modern culture has desensitized us to these things substantially. Ill-gotten gains are a common thing now. And whether we're talking the stock market or we're talking about, you know, other errors in your favor or encouraging people to sit there and say, well, since that guy stole it, it's okay if I steal it from him, right? No, no, there's no way that any of these commandments are able to be compromised or shut off simply because, well, this circumstance says it's okay. Like there's never going to be a time when Christ is like, oh, no, it's okay. you can sin this time. It's okay. That, that's not a thing. Like as a Catholic, we're supposed to be adhering to all of these rules all the time. No stealing from anyone of any sort. So whether it's their time, their labors, their actual possessions, what have you. I think some of this needs recalibration for modern man. Uh, having both worked in blue-collar environments and then having spent most of my adult life in a white-collar world, uh, this is cultural within the corporate side, within government. It's the, uh, you know, hey, Pete, good morning. How you doing? Let's have a 22-minute conversation about the weekend. Yeah, they all see you at lunch, and then it's the uh, it's the office chitter chatter and how the many water hours? cooler talks and yeah and yeah. How was Game of Thrones there, Bob? You know, it's one of those like you just don't really add up daily, weekly, monthly. Uh, really, the stealing, the theft that uh, you're being paid for, and if if you make twenty bucks an hour or fifty bucks an hour, uh, it adds up quickly. And like I said, unfortunately, the way that culture works right now, people don't stop to think about any of it and and maybe there are people out there who do and don't get me wrong like every now and again i do stop to consider it there are other people who stop to consider it we try and we keep looking at all the different contexts but i don't believe that enough depth goes into the consideration of what this all means and i think too this is probably a good uh plug for find old school examinations of conscience because they are way more detailed about the full depth of what this seventh commandment means. This is also where you go into St. Thomas and look through the, uh, his description of the Decalogue. And I know there are talks out there that you can find even on YouTube, uh, whether it's Father Ripperger going through the Decalogue or others. But look at what St. Thomas writes in there and look at the depth that he's bringing into it. And he'll give all the connotations that the seventh commandment includes as opposed to just 
you know, oh, just I stole a candy bar. Like, no. Well, Father Isaac Relier's examination of conscience is sufficient enough to make you feel terrible about everything you've ever done. That, that guy makes me feel terrible about a lot of things. I, I love it. It's such a, it's a purification process. Uh, for those listening, uh, if you do, if you do look for this on YouTube, it's like a solid two hours and 30, 40 minutes-ish. Uh, it will walk you through all Ten Commandments in excruciating detail and will have you... Uh, I mean, sins that you've never considered popping out of your memory bank. And uh, it's an excellent, uh, maybe once a year, once every two years type of purge. If you do general confessions, uh, for those that have scheduled them on a regular basis. If not, definitely talk to your confessor and look into a general confession. And the other thing I'll add, too, on this front that I've experienced here is we're talking about some of these commandments and trying to adhere to them. Make sure that after you read this stuff and you say, wow. I never thought about that as a sin before. And now I feel kind of bad because I can go remember like potential multiple times over how many years that I've done that. And if you go talk to some wishy-washy priest and he's like, eh, you're, you're fine. Eh, you may want to go and look and see if you can find a more traditional confessor because there are a lot of these priests, unfortunately, who are not well-versed or as well-versed as they should be. And you need someone who is actually going to challenge you. That's why we talk about Father Isaac Relia in a very positive light. Because it's like, no, I'd actually rather feel really bad about myself so I can judge myself in comparison to Christ versus trying to go and hold myself up and be like, I'm a good guy. I mean, you need, God knows that I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm fine. It'll be great. We could do an hour just on bad confessors that I've had since I've converted. <laughs> uh, I've had everything from the guy who didn't have time, who just wanted to absolve everybody in line as he was walking by to go start mass, uh, to uh, uh, my first real encounter with a traditional confessor. Uh, I was kind of inanely uh, excusing myself at one point, you know, like you know, I was, you know, I did this, that, you know, I tried, I failed, you know, something, something very stupid like that, and he cut me off quick, and he was like, well doesn't sound like you tried very hard at all and i'm like what did you just challenge me are you are you poking and prodding trying to get to the root cause of my failure I, and indeed he was and under his guidance uh i had the most productive 12 months of my life as a catholic as i saw him consistently it really does make a difference so we will move on to question 261 what does the seventh commandment forbid besides stealing the seventh commandment forbids cheating unjust keeping of what belongs to others, unjust damage to the property of others, and the accepting of bribes by public officials. <sighs> Where do you start unpacking <laughs> that one? Uh, I'd like to call out any business owners. Uh, one of the sins that cry to he you know, heaven for vengeance is defrauding the, the workers, right? Is that, is that one of them? Or am I making that up? Well, I'm not sure about that one specifically. The, the other one I would add though here is we we have governments that are willing to do really abhorrent things when it comes to stealing and manipulation and the moral obligations we have when we look at something like taxes and people are like dodging taxes and everyone feels bad about stealing and the problem here is this is the only caveat i can give you i can't just say necessarily dodging taxes is a good <laughs> thing my problem is though what happens when you literally cannot properly calculate them because the code is so complicated you have no idea whether or not it actually lines up and worse you know there are people who will go with i'm going to put laws and quotes air quotes right here you know there are people out there who are finding ways to get out of it because they've 
programmed loopholes into it to say, well, these are more just really, I'm just making you jump through hoops to just show you that, you know, government's in charge, but not really for your benefit or anyone else's. So you get to go have taxes that are just yours because you don't know how to jump through them or you don't have the capacity to jump through them. But other people can go and take advantage and pay no taxes or get even better. They get money paid to them out of your pocket when you give your taxes to the government and subsidies are given over. So that whole thing is so immoral top to bottom. Oh, not to mention <laughs> what they use it for ultimately. Uh, How many immoral, unjust things? And, and one of them, if you, the worst one that I could sit there and say top to bottom is when we look at abortion. Like subsidizing murder of infants is the worst of all of them. Then you keep adding. There's all other grave ones in there, absolutely no doubt. But the one that everyone should be able to see and clearly identify and the fact that we still have money going toward that, um, let alone scandalizing with all of the different uh, uses for all those cells, whether we're talking about being put into uh, the, we'll go with the latest jabs and things to keep you from getting sick. And or we're going to talk about tests that they're running on those cells for flavoring. So if you look at Pepsi or Nestle or Lipton, all of those companies actually use um, the HEK 293 line to do their testing for their flavors, which is how they came up with them. So there's many ways to scandalize and it just oh, but the government's subsidizing and helping all that happen in different facets and different parts. So even though. Uh, directly, you know, obviously the companies to blame and all the people who the doctors are to blame, whatever the government still set all that up. We basically have a system that is designed to uh, do some things that are less than honorable. So, yeah. So going back to why I bring this up and coming back off the tangent, the tax code is so convoluted. Um, don't feel terribly bad <laughs> about that entire situation. Now, if it were just sitting there and saying we had some very simple straightforward system that treated everyone in some reasonable fashion so you could clearly delineate yes this is my money this is the government's money and i know the government is going to use it for the causes that god is not going to want to just burn us all um okay but we're not there so just as a heads up when we talk about it but there is so much going on in that question in terms of all the things that you could steal and, and there's probably if you guys have questions or comments or thoughts throw them down below we'll go from there um, moving on to question 262, are we obliged to restore to the owner stolen goods or their value? Yes, we are obliged to restore to the owner stolen goods or their value wherever we are able. So the, the key here is able. Yes. Yeah. It, sometimes you don't have the capacity. Um, the one that always gets me is whenever it's like work, like say you didn't use your time wisely. It's very difficult to actually just go and give all the time back or something like that. And so you can kind of double your efforts or whatever. But yeah, some of these are way difficult to actually give back. In cases like this, it, uh, not to keep going down these rabbit holes and tangents, but it really does kind of put in perspective the, the capability of Christ with these things for restitution and his covering a multitude of sins, right? Uh, the litany of things that we've done as humankind, uh, really, truly, it's it's an infinite amount because we don't have the ability as human beings to restore anything. And whether you kill somebody or steal something um, or you steal reputations through slander and gossip, we, we just don't have that ability to repair those things. But Christ can, and Christ can cover it. Uh, so 
when you really think about the forgiveness that sometimes we take for granted, uh, looking at you cultural Catholics that hit confession once a decade, the importance there to reflect on that and reflect on that sacrament is, it's truly astounding at times if you put the time into it. Yeah. And by contrast, then you sit there and say, no, you stole five bucks, give the five bucks back. Yeah. Yeah. You, whatever. If it's a physical item, give it back. If it's something else that you can actually restore and it was a reparable type damage, like it was reparable so you can repair it. Yeah. Repair it, fix it and make it better. So that's the the whole point. They just man up, fix the window. Yeah. Play baseball somewhere else. <laughs> Speaking of that, we're just we moved right into it. So two sixty three, are we obliged to repair damage unjustly done to the property of others? We are obliged to repair damage unjustly done to the property of others or to pay the amount of the damage as far as we are able. So we kind of covered that. Um Exodus twenty two is where this is actually covering and explains kind of the rules here. So um still apply today. So make sure that unlike some people say the old testament's done or whatever, now nah, it's still totally applicable. It's to the, the old God, Pete. <laughs> I love that comment. It hurts. It hurts really bad. Let me say it because yes, you hear all sorts of crazy things. They don't make any sense. Moving on, eighth commandment now. So we've moved from stealing, which is still somewhat dishonest, by the way. So now we're going to go into the actual dishonesty piece itself in words. What is the eighth commandment of God? The eighth commandment of God is, "Thou shalt not bear false witness against thy neighbor." Yeah, don't lie, all right, in any capacity. This also then would include uh, selectively telling the truth, which I would sit there and say, unfortunately, vices. That goes into definitely, it's got to be one of my vices. It's frustrating. You're just like, you don't, like, oh, man, I want to make sure that I'm helping. I want to make sure that I'm nice and stuff. But, it, oh, because, you know, if you give all the details, all of a sudden people get really mad. <laughs> <laughs> no kidding. <laughs> this is a... Uh... This is something I, it, until I, I read St. Thomas, I wasn't really calibrated to pick up on how common these sins are between detraction, calumny, gossip, gossip slander. Um, Use our mouth to cause lots of damage. Oh, the tongue is wicked. And it, it really did kind of focus, and it's like, oh, I get the church fathers now. You know, the parts of scripture with how evil the tongue can be. Uh, irreparable damage. That's really what it is. And so if we expand on that, question 265, what are we commanded by the Eighth Commandment? By the Eighth Commandment, we are commanded to speak the truth in all things, but especially in what concerns the good name and honor of others. And as Brian was talking before, I think the uh, phrase goes, it takes seconds to build a reputation. Sorry, it takes years. Excuse me, I don't want to mess this up. It takes years to build a reputation and seconds to destroy it. And the problem is, is that if you out there with your reckless words and tongue that actually is destroying if you destroy someone else's reputation in seconds that's bad because you're talking years of damage and potentially irreparable depending on what you said about the person which is why it, when it, we come to talking about the honor and other people and things like that we we need to be very considerate about how we protect the reputations of individuals around us despite the flaws because it's not like any of us are unflawed like we're all definitely <laughs> carrying around some major major uh, damage most of it self-inflicted and 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 don't get me wrong like there are people out there who've been abused who've taken a lot of damage externally the issue though that we all still have regardless is that going back to what i started off talking about with the commandments is just because other people sin we don't get a green light to sin either and the problem is unfortunately is our own damages that have been inflicted upon us will manifest as our own sins 
again. So we start creating more problems. So it's how do we take all of those situations and all the self-inflicted wounds and how do we go and repair this? And this is where grace comes in this is why it's so important. And this also is where I still feel, and I, I think we've talked about it before, but Protestants are at a distinct disadvantage here of understanding the depths of the perfection that is demanded by Christ because it's all talking away because everyone says, well, I'm a good guy. God understands. He knows where I'm coming from. I'm better than all these other people as opposed to saying, no, 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 no. God said, be like your father in heaven who is perfect. Matthew 5:48. That's a lamp. I gave my heart to Jesus. It just oh my clears goodness. it all. Yeah. I, uh, oh my goodness. It's a, it's a whole other conversation, but just to, kind of backtrack for those that are completely new to some of these these terms um detraction is information that is true that uh should be kept close hold or secret about somebody and you choose to you know to let it out there anyway in conversation uh, there might be a proper time for such a thing you know if law enforcement is you know looking into a crime and you happen to know who committed the crime uh that would be kind of a proper you know assisting in the investigation but just uh gossiping with the neighbor about what so-and-so did so and you know whatever uh that's detraction calumny is just flat out making something up about somebody to destroy the reputation uh it's completely false you did it anyway and um you know these terms they are not they're they're not synonyms so if, if you are guilty of these things and you go to confess it be precise with your language and of course uh these people in my experience with saint thomas he had a word for it, loquaciousness People that get a joy out of just excessive talking. Um, and if that is... Attention-seeking. That's your lot. Um, these sins, in my experience, tend to follow people like that. So if uh, if that's you at the water cooler, uh, and these uh, these comments resemble you, uh, you might want to uh, just reflect a little bit about that. But lately I've been uh, spending a lot of time with the church fathers, and I found a quote that this is serendipitous uh, as far as this quote. But I read this earlier today. It just so happened to look at the material tonight. And it kind of, if the church fathers don't scare you a little bit about Christian perfection, um, and as Pete said, the depths of perfection is something that uh, Catholics really do, I think, better understand because it's part of our patrimony. But uh, this is a quote from uh, St. Ephraim, the Syrian. Uh, This is from his third homily, by the way. Uh, Thou shalt not slander any man, lest they call thee Satan. If thou hatest the name, go not near to the act, but if thou lovest the act, be not angry at the name. Count thyself rebuked first of all the beasts and the birds. How that every kind cleaves to its kind, and so agree thou with thy yoke fellow. Uh, that's pretty uh, pretty old school language, but the first bit there, uh, lest they call thee Satan, just as slander. Um, that's that's intense. You can resemble your father one way or the other, depending who you serve, and it's uh, it's something to keep in mind. This is what a church father thinks. On slander, it's it's absolutely just astonishing to me that we have such a different perspective. Back to the bad confessors, mm-hmm. like oh Pete, that's not so bad. Well, according to Saint Ephraim the Syrian, uh, if you slander any man, uh, you're pretty much Satan. Uh, not to be uh, hyperbolic here. Yeah, and the thing that I would say is the caveat here is uh, Brian kind of talked about law enforcement as one of the examples. I would say another example there is that if you have a buddy who's super irresponsible and you hear another person who's going to go and uh, rely on that irresponsible individual for something, it's okay to tell party C out there that party B is irresponsible because you don't want 
party C to get hurt by the irresponsibility of party B. That's the obligation that you have um, to make sure that everyone makes good decisions. And that's okay. You're so, loving your neighbor. Yeah. At that point. So there are there are times when you're supposed to do it. And I would also say uh, another example I'd throw out there is instruction of children. Because the problem is, too, is that sometimes they witness behavior from individuals and see their flaws. But the problem is they haven't seen enough to understand what they're looking at is a flaw. And it's a significant flaw. And they sometimes need it pointed out to sit there and say, hey, did you see what that was? What did you think of that? How did you feel about that? And then you put together and then give enough detail to instruct without actually going and destroying someone. But still, there are times where you have to give a little bit more information to help other people make better decisions and learn. Well, as a parent, you, you're yeah. supposed to make them as wise as serpents, right? That prepare them for this world. And there's nothing wrong with that. Really, I, in my mind, this, uh, this really brings up the images of like uh, the mean high school girls, you know, or the locker room stuff. Um, I don't, I'm not real big into the bro community because I'm an adult man. But when you just chat away about other people, uh, this is really geared towards you. Yeah, and we kind of covered it before, so but we'll add it now. Um, and I think we'll try and hit these actually in a row because we, we brought them up. Unless you want to stop it. Tell me if you want to stop any of these. But for oh, no, now, no, no. You just roll through. Question 266. What does the Eighth Commandment forbid? The Eighth Commandment forbids lies, rash judgment, detraction, calumny, and the telling of secrets we are bound to keep. And that's all stuff that uh, Brian just brought up right there. So we'll go into rash judgment. So question 267, when does a person commit the sin of rash judgment? A person commits the sin of rash judgment when, without sufficient reason, he believes something harmful to another's character. So jump into conclusions for no reason, which to be perfectly honest, like that's another thing I do, which is stupid. But I think it's... Uh, we talk about it and we almost act like it's a normal thing, but talking about impressions being made, like right after you meet someone, and then yeah. how many times have I been proven wrong? A lot. <laughs> so much. <laughs> I'm did dumb. They, did they have a mat they were getting off the ground we could buy? <laughs> like office space fans? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's a <laughs> you can jump to. Oh, sorry. So <laughs> It's been a long day, folks. Yeah, we'll move to question uh, 268 before we do anything else. Uh, rash. Oh, uh, yes. Question 268. When does a person commit the sin of detraction? A person commits the sin of detraction when, without good reason, he makes known the hidden faults of another. And this kind of goes with what we were talking about before. Don't just go and <laughs> air everybody else's dirty laundry for no reason. Pete, guess what Jake did? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't make you a better person. It doesn't make the person you told a better person. And sure, you may feel better because you get to say, hey, I was in the know. Um, the problem that you have to watch out for is that also... In this situation, it's destructive to everyone because the problem is, is you have ruined trust between other individuals because you've given stuff that was never supposed to be out that never the problem never would have been presented because they never would have had the reason to doubt until you told something about another person that wasn't supposed to be known. And then secondly, that whoever you just told this deep, dark secret to, they're going to not trust you either because <laughs> like. Wait a minute. You just told me stuff that I wasn't actually supposed to know, but oof. Yeah, man. Remind me never to tell you any of my dirty laundry. <laughs> like That's math we kind of did by high school. It's like you just assume if they're talking about someone, they'll be talking about you next. So uh, if this is the first time you've ever heard that before, uh, I'm really sorry. You've had a you've had an astounding life. And again, I'll reiterate because I think we did it in other videos, but um, not this one yet, is that. All of these sins 
in the uh, the list that Moses took down from Mount Sinai. Every single one requires that you violate the first commandment first. <laughs> it, like it's part of it. You can't violate any of these commandments without violating the first. You have to actually disobey God to make all this happen, which means the first gets broken. And the only way you do that is pride. Like that's where all this is rooted. And it's trying not to be Satan in everything that we do, having the forethought and the consideration. And we have a lot of weight we need to put on our shoulders because again, we're even though everyone's like, well, I'm good enough. And it, the, the Protestant thing, well, I'm, I'm good enough. I'm probably fine. God knows. It's like, but the problem is, is if you are only trying to be a half-assed example to everyone else around you, you're scandalizing. You're encouraging people to then have behavior that's not good enough when you don't bust your butt to be the best person you can be in the image of Christ. You have an obligation to do that. And we don't think a lot about the scandal piece, but the amount of scandalizing stuff. And again, scandal, grave sin, scandal focusing on the fact that you, by your actions, are either explicitly supporting or implying support of sin against another person. It's just something to consider is that a lot of these things encourage other people to commit sins as well. And that's the thing I think is most poisonous. But normalizing it? The instant you're willing to commit a sin and you're willing to commit it to another person, I think that's the other problem when you look at the Eighth Commandment, is you're actually, your sin is giving this evil thing to another person. You had to tell them. Like, and whether you're lying or whether you're doing whatever, it's like you're poisoning them. You're not just hurting. And that's the thing with all sins. You're never just hurting yourself. Every sin actually hurts a bunch of people when it happens, let alone your angels not thrilled about it. Saints aren't thrilled about it. Whoever's looking and God is absolutely watching is not okay with this. And I don't think we consider all the damage that's done. And then the longstanding effects that after you've lied and after you've gone and uh, detracted or defamed or all the other, it's bad. So we just don't think about it, but we probably need to stop and consider more in depth what we do with our words. And it's, it's an interesting time with Protestantism though, because the, the root problem there of that crime is, is their pride, right? It's what leads them down that path. But that's, that's, that's a pretty cool time. Consider all this. Think about it. Ask questions. Uh, again, talk it all out. Read what you can. The, the Church Fathers wrote a lot about it. Again, the Summa Theologiae is an amazing resource to actually go into the Ten Commandments because of the amount of like work that uh, St. Thomas put into them. If we find anything else, I'll, I'll try and make sure we, we link it somehow in the uh, description. All right, question 269. When does a person commit the sin of calumny or slander? A person commits the sin of calumny or slander when, by lying, he injures the good name of another. And yeah, so we kind of covered that one already. Don't calumniate. That's it. Yeah, you don't need to go and hurt someone else's reputation under any circumstances. And the only time that you can is in defense of other people. Like there's a situation that warrants. Otherwise, just we need to be quiet. And speaking of quiet, question 270. When are we obliged to keep a secret? We are obliged to keep a secret when we have promised to do so, when our office requires it, or when the good of another demands it. So... Secrets are okay in many circumstances. And I think a, a perfect example of this is, and especially in this day and age, hearkening back to all the times in all of the Catholic places of the world when the powers that be would start to prevent them from worshiping the way they wanted to worship. And these are times where you're not going to tell people, like the in Ireland, 
where they're going to go worship to stay away from the government authorities so people don't, you know, get persecuted and killed. <laughs> so, Let me tell you what mass rock I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, there's it's common time, sense. There are times when secrets are absolutely appropriate. So not all secrets are bad. Um, secret societies are bad. But again, it's the intent. What's the point of the secret? If the point of the secret is to preserve something good so that bad powers can't destroy it, fine. If the point of your secret is to hide bad deeds and bad people uh, seeking to do harm to good or, or seeking to do or make war with Christ, yeah, that's a whole different ballgame. So just understand the distinction there. I'll just, I'll just bring it down to a normal day-to-day. Uh, just be a good human. If someone brings a problem to you in confidence, just keep the secret and help them out. It, it's pretty easy math. What, you mean we don't have to talk about it and make it public and put it on my social media everywhere? What? Uh, I mean, we can. I, it's I mean, such a drag. Do I need an Instagram account now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right. And then question 271. What must a person do who has sinned by detraction or calumny or is told a secret he is bound to keep? A person who has sinned by detraction or calumny or who has told a secret he is bound to keep must repair the harm he has done to his neighbor as far as he is able Again, if you realize you've done this, you just need to make sure that whenever you can go and do the opposite and build this person up with whoever heard you say things that were destructive, um, you can remind someone that, hey, no, she's not that bad a a person or he's actually a way better guy. And hey, you know that thing he did that was really cool? You have that capacity to do reparations in in that, that spirit, that vein. So... Some things just can't be put back together. Um, Toothpaste in a tube. Yeah. All right. Question 272. What is the ninth commandment of God? The ninth commandment of God is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And we'll go and build on that. Question 273. What are we commanded by the ninth commandment? By the ninth commandment, we are commanded to be pure in thought and desire. All right. So me growing up, not Catholic. And hearing the, well, it's okay. I mean, if you look, it's just window dressing or whatever. And all these other weird comments that are ultimately leading you towards the sixth commandment violations. Um, We know in terms of what Christ has said, we can be penalized for our thoughts when we entertain them. That's bad. This is straight out of classic Americana, right? How many times have you heard, uh, I don't care where he gets his appetite up as long as he comes home to eat. Or and sex sells. Sex sells. With enough lust, uh, you're asking for nothing good. It's just a, it's a road of, uh, it ends with mortal sin. And again, yeah, you, so going back to Dom Scapoli, spiritual combat, the only vice that you do not further subject yourself to it in order to get stronger is lust it's the one that our nature by design we falter there really bad and so the issue is is that if we entertain any of those thoughts about and it doesn't matter whether in in here we're not talking about the fact that well if only if it's a woman and only if she's married no that's not what we mean (laughs) we mean everyone has a set of vows or a station they're attached to And if you are out there seeking to break them from that station or break yourself from that station, you have now violated this commandment seeking to make that move. That's bad. And you have to allow, if it's a single person 
leave them in their station where they're supposed to be because they're either supposed to go and be a religious or they're just supposed to be honestly a chaste single person or they're supposed to get married one day and it's we need to think about that as opposed to trying to turn them into an object anything having to do with the sixth and ninth commandments unfortunately whether we like it or not uh when the sins are committed are objectifying we no longer treat that person as if they have a soul or if they're actually a human being and if they actually have feelings and they need to be respected as another unique creation of our Lord for the purposes of glorifying him. So they have a whole series of things they need to do to glorify him. And we're sitting there going, man, we're thinking about it in the very carnal sense. We are destroying so many opportunities to actually help that other person, whoever that we would be lusting over to be better at glorifying God, let alone us coming down a peg and going back to the fact that sins never, they always seem to hurt way more people than you know. At that point, if you're a father or a mother and you're lusting after someone else, you're harming your relationship with your significant other. You're harming the security uh, and the virtue of your children. You're harming the good name of your family. And ultimately that means your siblings and your aunts and your uncles and your parents. Like there's so many people that are impacted when you go down that road. It's just something to consider that we have an obligation, whatever we do, to ensure that we control our thoughts and don't seek out someone else's, someone else to satisfy a carnal pleasure. Um, that's, that's not right. Now, when is the carnal uh, desire okay? As long as it's rightly ordered as a married couple with the end, which is glorifying God and procreation. That's, that's okay. And if it's in that light, that's fine. Outside of that, though, we're now abusing the procreative power and we're turning it into something that's disgusting. And then we're back into the culture of death problem and uh, we're talking uh, contraception and, and those types of things. This is the road. This is abortion and everything else. They're all connected, whether we like it or not. And I know there may be some people who sit there and say, well, man, such a downer on it. It's like, okay, I, I hear you. But the, the goal here is to be pure and think about an eternity with God, purity, as opposed to, nah, I just want to feel good for the next few minutes. Well, that's the reason why this is the sin you run from at all costs. And, and if you're that guy or gal sitting there right now going, I disagree. Uh, I'm, I'm stronger than this. I, uh, you've trained yourself or you just have a disposition that uh, this isn't easily overcome by. Uh, you're fooling yourself. Um, there's, we all run from this. That's the recommendation because we all break at some point. And this world's hard enough as it is being on the internet or being at work or being in the gym. You could look, stare at your feet all day. You can make all the right choices. You could go to all the right places online and something inevitably will always con confront you. And it's like, oh, where's this garbage come from? Like I, I did nothing to warrant, you know, this, you know, net end result. But yet here I am. And that's without trying. And then, so if you're if you're hanging off the ship of salvation, so to speak, uh, this this dangling in the water on things like TikTok or YouTube, uh, looking at uh, honestly professional harlots that are taking your money or getting some sort of hit count and getting paid for this trash, up to and including, unfortunately, women's sports and stuff like that for dudes. Like the problem is, is all these things are out there, and it's like I know that we are sounding or there are people who be like man those guys are such prudes and it's like except for the fact that our blessed mother told us that 
the reason most people are going to hell right now is sins of impurity. So everyone wants to be a fleshly creature and they want to act like a bunch of animals as opposed to doing what they're supposed to do, which is to think about how they preserve our flesh for the glory of God. Regardless of our stations or uh, vocations, uh, we're all called to be chaste and to live chastely. And uh, having a very productive and uh, loving marriage is chaste. Uh, it's within the parameters that were set for us. But you can't you can't have a toe uh, in both worlds. And uh, being, being a convert, coming in from this uh, classic Americana uh, and having lived many decades of my life on the outside, um, there were a lot of things you just accepted. Uh, as normal pornography as oh, well. Oh, that, or, or how about just the movies and the shows? Uh, you never would have thought twice about half of it. Now I go back and watch some stuff sometimes. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen that in forever. I, like, oh, I don't remember this. <laughs> Turn yeah, all that I off blocked out a bunch. It's all garbage. Um, but the bottom line is, is, is run from this. And you know what your triggers are. You know what sets you up for failure. Uh, you don't slide directly into mortal sin. Nobody wakes up and says, man, I can't wait to commit mortal sin today. It's always an easement. It's something that you would uh, uh, maybe least suspect, but you you get comfortable uh, in the water. You tow in is stuff like this. And then that one decision leads to another, leads to another. And chances are you're going to end up somewhere you don't want to be much later on. And so just avoid the stupid water in the first place. It's the best defense you have. And you have to remain vigilant at all times. And this is just part of that process. And then I think it's helpful here too. These other questions that are uh, rounding out the ninth commandment are really useful here. Question 274, are mere thoughts about impure things always sinful in themselves? Mere thoughts about impure things are not always sinful in themselves, but such thoughts are dangerous. And so we'll go to the next one as well. Question 275, when do thoughts about impure things become sinful? Thoughts about impure things become sinful when a person thinks of an unchaste act and deliberately takes pleasure in so thinking, or when unchaste desire or passion is aroused and consent is given to it. What does that mean? No, not every impure thought is sinful. Because the thing is, is sometimes, the one that I just got asked recently, actually, dreams. Uh, everyone has bad dreams. And the thing is, is that when you're sitting there and trying to focus on how you live a chaste life, whether it's a chaste single life or a chaste married life, yeah, you don't want to be doing violations of the ninth commandment at all. But then you end up having dreams where stuff happens and you're like, what the heck? Oh man. And you feel gross when you wake up, uh, talk to a priest about that. That is not sinful because you're not in control. You it's involuntary. Yeah, it's involuntary. It's not you just sat there and said, oh, you know what I think I'm going to do tonight? I'm just going <laughs> to think about this. No, that's not. A dream is not actually uh, going to put you. You weren't entertaining it. When they mean entertaining, they're meaning you visibly see something. You know that it's visually appealing. And as opposed to sitting there and saying, nah, and then looking away, going and doing whatever, you're like, all right, let's get more of this. At that moment, now it's sinful. That's consent. Yeah, it's consent. At that point. And so one of the things that I try to adhere to for this, and I, and I can't remember whether we brought it up in the Sixth Commandment or not, but Aloysius Gonzaga is one of the best examples here for this issue. Um, Aloysius Gonzaga, he only lives to be in his 20s, but he had chosen, because of his desire to remain pure, never to look a woman, basically to basically never look up from the ground whenever he was talking to women, when they were around. <laughs> and as much as a woman could say, man, that's disrespectful. Let's look at it from God's perspective as opposed to man's perspective. Okay. So from God's perspective, 
we are supposed to be preserving, we are supposed to preserve our bodies for his glory. We're supposed to use them to do what he wants done. If he does not want us to violate our station, in the case of Gonzaga, he's religious. Yeah, do what you're supposed to do to maintain your purity. And then God keeps his immaculate, pure person at that point, or as pure as they can be, the way he wants versus soiled. Like, he doesn't want stuff all tarnished and busted up. And the fact that Gonzaga chose then to treat these women with the decency and respect of saying, no, that's one of God's treasures, and God wants to keep that treasure for himself in a certain way, um, that's pretty cool uh, overall. Now, that said, then other people are going to be like, well, but God made people beautiful so that we know they're beautiful, right? And we could look at it, we could enjoy that. Eh, no, <laughs> we are naturally attracted to attractive people. We're kind of built that way. We're kind of built that way. But that's the whole thing where it's where what we've done, though, is our culture is so busted, so destroyed that we've taken that attraction that we have to people when we realize that someone is mentally engaging or emotionally engaging or spiritually engaging. Or again, there's the the aesthetic where we see them and they're in that. They're like, wow, that's a good looking person. We've taken that acknowledgement and we've turned everything sexual we've made it horrible because what does everyone say they're like the amount of rainbow flag stuff going on right now as an example is that anyone can do anything they want to anyone whenever they want that's their entire goal it's totally evil it's vile why do i say that i say that because what we're dealing with unfortunately is unbridled uncontrolled desire to satisfy physical basically get physical pleasure a physical need and we're not looking at it of sitting there saying god made this person whoever we could potentially lust over for a purpose that is not our lust that person as beautiful as attractive as they are were given those features again physical or mental, emotional, whatever it is, because God has a purpose for them. And it wasn't us going and doing something terrible and, and despicable and revolting. It was so that that person could, I don't know, be a speaker that other people would find engaging and they would listen. It's so that they could do some other activity, whatever it would be. Or honestly, in the case of uh, men and women, so they could be that housewife or husband that is needed by their partner so that they can actually make a really strong marital bond and babies and everything else right like that's more important to consider god's purpose and his intent here than it is our own desires that are uncontrolled so that's the mandate right is to look at every human being as christ would look at them and if you're the kind of guy <clears throat> excuse me if you're the kind of guy that would look at a look at a young lady or a woman with the attaching only the value of the physicality and and, and trying to achieve that objective you've really dehumanized them you took everything of their of their specific creation and disregarded it only for the you know the, the sexual uh, piece of it and that's that's the worst part it's uh, that's that's pretty villainous in my mind, and when I see uh, so I, I I do see a lot of young ladies and uh, a lot of 
young women through the course of my work week. And I, I see a lot of trying too hard <laughs> for the, the wrong things. And at one point in my life, I would have been like anybody else, like, oh, she looks good or whatever. Um, but now I, I, I'm kind of sad on the inside. It's like, like, why would you wear that to work? Or why would you, you know, flaunt these things? Uh, because there's, there's, I mean, honestly, think about it, guys. It's a self-confidence issue or it's a, it's a litany of psychological things that culture has imposed upon uh, women in general emphasis on the sexual over emphasis on the emotional and the spiritual and the capacity to be a wife or a mother and or honestly the capacity to sit there and say you know what the best things in life aren't actually wrapped up in the appearance that's right <laughs> so uh, and they bought into it that's the worst yeah. part and that's feminism uh from first to third order but I challenge you to use your imagination for one second, uh, especially with this. But if you took a woman dressed as, let's just be frank, like a prostitute, and then you put one next to her uh, in modest clothing, you know, fashionable but modest, I guarantee uh, those two women would be treated vastly differently by random men in looks and in, in words. Yes. Because the one who dresses like a piece of meat gets treated with the respect that we treat a piece of meat uh, versus someone who's looking as if they are in control of themselves, intelligent, and ultimately, for lack of a better term, uh, I, I don't know how to put it. I almost want to say like they have more capacity to see through you and to judge you in a way where the, the one that treats themselves like a piece of meat will not make you feel insecure. Yeah, it's weird. The ones who would actually go and take care of themselves and actually put everything together, that's the one where you're sitting there going, I don't know if I feel good enough for this. You have to rise to the occasion. Yeah. You have to be that man you're you're intended to be. And I, I don't mean uh, to start the or open the can of worms because inevitably it's always like, oh, I could dress how I want and you can't judge me. It's your fault. Uh, no, you you bear some responsibility for your neighbor uh, by dressing modestly. It's, it's an act of charity for men. We're very visual creatures. They're helping us out. It's not how you're tempted, but it's how we're tempted. So this goes back to scandal. This goes back to the whole commission of scandal. And again, uh, for anyone who decides to dress and pass themselves off as a sexual thing versus a fully fledged human being with many values and responsibilities that exceed the flesh. If we don't emphasize the rest of it and we only focus on the sexual and draw everyone in and force them into this, the problem is, is that now those individuals who started the temptation are now culpable when it comes to the sins and judgment and whatnot, which is one of the reasons why you get Padre Pio and other people who are like having a woman come into confession. And he's like, go home, get dressed and come back when you have clothes on. Because <laughs> <laughs> she didn't dress in a modest fashion to carry herself the way she needed to do it. And he's like, no, you, you shouldn't be here. This is completely, it's hurting you because now people look down on this person who didn't dress well and didn't want to think about how they could look dignified. And it harms all the other guys because, like, like we're saying from a ninth commandment perspective, uh, we don't want to be unchaste. And and I'll add right here because it's perfect timing. Question two seventy six: What is forbidden by the ninth commandment? The ninth commandment forbids all thoughts and desires contrary to chastity. Well, if someone's parading all their flesh around, as we all know it, it all you know how everything works. That's contrary to chastity is the problem. It's setting up that entire temptation 
And again, it's not a temptation that's easily resisted. Now, if we all work together, we have a way better shot at staying chaste and being on, you know, a good track versus if we say, ah, whatever, I'll do whatever I want. And it just makes me feel good. Well, okay. If that, if it's all about how you feel, then in the end, then God's gonna be like, okay, I don't really care. (laughs) It's actually what I commanded. That's how God's going to look at it. So uh, just, we got to be considerate of all the parties involved. And again, a sin never is just hurting ourselves, right? It hurts the other people because we're tempting them. We're scandalizing them. We're encouraging sins. And ultimately we're flaunting the blessings God gave us and turning them into something that's evil. So it's just something to watch out for. So if you're new to examination of conscience and you're using this series to kind of get a better understanding. Uh, this is why the sixth and ninth commandments are always tied together. Um, you don't get, really get to the sixth commandment without going through the ninth at some point. Yeah. Cause the eyes have a very, uh, they're, they're a window, a door, whatever you want to call them, but sight visual, uh, cues are what actually spur on how the sixth commandment gets violated. So this is, this is what you do. I mean, people don't accidentally fall into bed. That's right. There was a whole bunch of lead up to this where someone wanted to do something and there was back and forth and it starts out as just looking is the whole problem. It starts out as ninth commandment and ends as sixth commandment. So I think it's just, we all need to be considerate about it. But yeah, if if you guys have issues with it, yeah, totally hit us up in the comments. We'll go from there. And then now we'll hit the 10th commandment. So it's really uh, straightforward. Two more questions here. Question 277. What is the 10th commandment of God? The 10th commandment of God is thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. And 278, what does the 10th commandment forbid? The 10th commandment forbids all desire to take or keep unjustly what belongs to others and also forbids envy at their success. So, you know what? I'm not actually going to take any of my stuff with me to heaven, allegedly. Like, it's almost like I don't really need all of it. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's something that I could do with it, but in the grand scheme, it's not worth that much. And even though people talk about, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins, it's a Terrible, terrible <laughs> statement. How 1980s. Like, <laughs> we got to sit there and look at it from the standpoint of these things are only here or should only be here to facilitate our ability to fulfill the responsibilities of our station for the glory of God. And if we're not doing that, why do we have it? <laughs> I think we're talking about attachment. And okay, John of the Cross, St. John of the Cross. He is big on detachment. He criticizes Teresa of Avila for her attachment to the point where she gets super frustrated with him. <laughs> Who has more detachment? <laughs> yeah. Well, because the thing is he was able to point it out. She was annoyed the fact that he's like, yeah, you're totally attached. You got some issues. <laughs> and uh, goods are just goods. They're just things. This world's passing. It's fleeting. Like we can see it's corrupt. We know that things are broken after Adam and Eve did their thing and so on and so forth. And now we're doing our things and making it worse. Uh, unfortunately, things objects are just that they're not god they're not divine they're not going to actually facilitate what we need to get to heaven and in all seriousness even if we were starving in an alley somewhere each of us still has the capacity without any goods whatsoever to make it to heaven you could be totally you know you could still be poor and ultimately uh, not poor in spirit unfortunately totally prideful and just a mess but we don't need the things to go to heaven and unfortunately, there's too much emphasis on the things. This is the rich man coming up to Jesus. What do I do to follow you? <laughs> and then, like, well, you got to get rid of all your stuff. And he's like, ooh, that's a tall order. I No, I'm not going to be able to do that. And he walks. Like, we don't want to be that guy. That's, that's what this is about. Like, you have your stuff and you have your money 
And I think that's the one of the problems with this weird career-driven society, especially the United States, like American values, American hard worker, all this other stuff, American dream. Do you know what that American dream is lacking? Like Christ. Yeah. The, the actual point of it all. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, man, I want more stuff, and I want more status, and I want more things, and I want to go and make sure that I can get the biggest, baddest, fastest, whatever. But what about making sure that we have the most grace possible to help others get the most grace possible and all of us end up in heaven in the end and happy for eternity. That is way more important than any goods we could be envious over. And so they'd be like, man, I wish I had that man. Why did that guy have it? And I didn't. Well, there's those people, but I think for most Americans or maybe most people in the West, it, it comes down to the, it's the distraction, the back to time wasting. Uh, you only have so much time you've been given here. The more stuff you have, uh, especially I can I could drone on about the joys of home ownership at this point, but you, it's all distraction. And the less stuff you have, the less encumbered you are, you will have more time for the right things, and you'll be in a better mental state to handle uh, things like loss. I know as I started paring down my life, I it got easier to wrap my brain around things that happen. You're like, oh, you know, uh, I got water in my basement. You know what? It happens. I'll fix it. Uh, I don't care because it's just a house. Uh, I'll be dust at some point, and so will this place. It's really just meant to be a tool to uh, raise my family and push people towards heaven. You don't have to be wrapped up in it emotionally. It really just creates more stress. Yeah, I think Father Wolf made a very good statement. I can't remember which talk he gave it in, but the point being, when you look at someone else, and it definitely applies here, and you need to set yourself up to follow Christ. The best way you do that is by acknowledging if you are given all the things that other person has that you're looking at and that's all their blessings and all their money and all the other whatever, you would do a worse job with it than that person's doing with regard to glorifying God with it. You'd make more decisions that were wrong and more errors and vice versa. If they were put in your shoes and given less in this case, the things that, you know, you're envious because they have whatever and you don't. There's a better than fair chance if that person had been given all the blessings that you have in your situation that you don't think is that good, they would have done a better job than you're doing now. And when you sit there and look at everything from that perspective of it's a humility thing, if you can focus there, it changes your entire dynamic where in many instances now, and, and everyone kind of does it at some level, but you get to that point where you're like, I'm glad I don't have that. Like, I don't want the mansion. I don't want this. I don't want that. Whatever it is. I'm, I'm glad that's not my situation because that seems really stressful and I don't know how someone could deal with it. Yeah, I have a hard enough time taking care of my little plot <laughs> of planet Earth. Uh, I know I'm supposed to thrive where I'm planted, uh, but some days that seems like too much. Hopefully all this was helpful. So we got through the Ten Commandments. Next episode, we're going to start hitting the commandments of the church. Hopefully you enjoy all this stuff. Make sure to throw comments in there. If there's more you want to learn or questions, just engage us. We're happy to do it. Again, subscribe to the channel. Follow us, whether it's on YouTube or SoundCloud or uh, iTunes, all that stuff. We're out there. Check us out on Restoring the Faith channel, and we'll go from there. Otherwise, uh, yeah, it's uh, been another good time, another good episode, and uh, we'll see you soon. So in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, and St. Joseph... Pray for us. Pray for us.